We are in the parables of Jesus Christ. We have uh, dealt with, uh, we're in the process of dealing with the kingdom parables, uh, most of them listed in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, what the story is set where Jesus teaches a group, a large group of people, and then he pulls himself away, and he and the disciples meet together in a house, and they start asking questions about the first four parables that he told. And so we have talked about the first four parables in that context, and Jesus explains two of them. We've talked about that. And this morning, as we talk about the parables, the, the, the scene is going to shift now. Because when Jesus lays out the first four parables about the kingdom and the sower and all of that, Jesus is explaining to, to everyone um, what the kingdom is like, how do people get into the kingdom, those kinds of things. Now, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. And when Jesus meets with his disciples, he's going to share a couple of parables with them. But the focus is different now, because now Jesus is talking to believers. Before, he was, taking, he was talking to people who may or may not have followed him, who were more people of sight. Now he's talking to people of faith. And he's talking to his disciples, and he's trying to lay out some groundwork. And so we're going to look at, at actually two parables this morning, because they're so closely tied together. A lot of Bible commentaries refer to these guys as, the, as twin parables, because uh, like twins, there's a lot of things that are the same, but yet there are some things that are different. So uh, they're just really short parables, but here's what it says. Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man found it, he hides it, and for joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything that he had, and he bought it. So two parables, a lot of similarities, um, a lot of differences. Um, some of the differences are this. Um, in the first parable, he discovers the treasure. He was not looking for it. He just stumbled across it. In the second parable, he, he actually is out seeking a, a great expensive pearl. He's a merchant. He buys and sells stuff. So he's actually in pursuit of this great pearl. In the first parable, it's plural. The treasures is the idea. It's more than one. Whereas in the second parable, it's one thing he sought after, one, one pearl, one great pearl. Um, in a lot of ways, they're similar. In both cases, we have somebody trying to acquire something of great value. And we have them spending everything in order to be able to do it. And then we find when they acquire it, there's great joy over having it, having that which they possess. So let's walk through them individually, and then we'll get to our stuff for, for us this week. Um, the first parable, the parable of the treasure. There's all kinds of interpretations to this. Um, some guys, uh, some, some Bible people, they believe that this is about redemption. This is about Jesus going out and, and, and purchasing our salvation um, some people believe that this is about um, Jesus um, and Christ uh, in relationship to Israel. Uh, some people see this as a Christian going out and finding Christ. Um, th those are some common interpretations to this passage. Um, here's what we know. Um, first of all, we know that 
In this parable, the treasure is in the field. We know that the man stumbles on it, and he immediately covers it back up. We know that then he goes and sells everything that he has in order to buy the field. And he buys the field, and now he owns the treasure, and he's overjoyed with it. So that's what we know. Now, let me get into a big issue that comes up in this parable. And one of them is, it seems like Jesus is talking about something that's unethical. Why is Jesus using this as an example? Um, first of all, let's understand that in this culture, this was, this was a story people could relate to. And here's why. They don't have banks. They didn't have banks. So if you had something of value, in order to keep people from stealing it, where would you put it? I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's not like you have closets in the house. They're just open rooms. So often what people would do is they would bury things somewhere on their property, and that's how they would keep stuff safe. And when JT bought a house in Morningside, one of the things that we found out was that years ago, the, the guy who owned it, uh, the story goes, the guy who owned it, when, we, when the U.S. moved away from the gold standard and you could only own so much gold, he took a bunch of gold and buried it on his property. And then he died. And no one knew where it was buried. And after JT bought the property, what we found is people would come and actually, there were actually four lots, he owned two of them, and then there was two empty lots next to him. People would actually show up with metal detectors and ask if they could search the property. Because this was a known story in the, in the community. And I always just tell him, every time we were remodeling something, I said, okay, you know the deal, Right? We come across gold, 50-50. Um, no, 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 Dad, we're not going to do 50-50. I'm like, okay, then do the project on your own. You know, that's my, I mean, I'm 50-50 on this deal. And so, and to this day, I mean, nobody's found it. Um, we don't even know if the story's true, but it, it, why? Because that was just a common thing when people would do that. And so in this culture, that was a common deal. So let's think about it for a second. So if the guy's unethical and he finds a treasure, what's he going to do? He's just going to take it. He's not going to bury it again. He's just going to take it if he's really unethical. Um, the rabbis taught that if you found something, you could, it was kind of a finder's keepers kind of thing if nobody, you didn't know who owned it. You go, well, he's trying to be deceptive and hiding it from the owner. Look, if the owner knew it was there, then when the owner sold the property, the owner would have gone and dug it up first and then sold the property. So this is something that this man stumbles across and sees that it has great value. And in order to acquire it, he knows that he has to buy the land that the, 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 the valued treasure is on. So he goes out and he sells every single thing that he owns. He buys this piece of property. So he owns that treasure. That's the story that Jesus tells. Okay. Um, and when he buys it and he acquires it, and this is what we want to get to today, there's great joy and rejoicing over what he has just gotten a hold of. Then Jesus goes right into the next story about a merchant who apparently goes and buys stuff and sells stuff, and he comes across a pearl of great value. Now, you need to understand that pearls had a tremendous amount of value in this culture. In fact, when Jesus, when, when, when um, John talks about the New Jerusalem, there are 12 gates, 
and they're made of pearl. Um, some actually believe it's one big pearl. Now, that's a big pearl to make a gate. Um, but that's, that's the idea. In fact, that's why, by the way, that's why when Jesus makes the statement about don't cast your pearls before swine, what he's saying there is you don't take something of great value and give it to something, a pig, that cannot appreciate it, appreciates its value. Don't waste your time doing that. Um, quick rabbit trail. Be careful with social media that you don't cast your pearls before swine. There's some things that have great value, and by throwing them out there, you're, 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 you're not giving them their proper value because the people you're giving it to don't even appreciate it. You know? And that's kind of why sometimes we get into these arguments online and on, on, on social media stuff, and listen, it's just silly. You're not going to change their mind. Don't, don't, don't take something which is valuable or something which is, which is precious or true and stuff like that and just throw it out there to people who can't appreciate it. Um, so anyway, that, that was free. So back to the story. So uh, we get this idea that what this guy does is, and, and here's what's interesting. What this guy does is he does the same thing. He goes and sells everything that he has. Now, if he's a merchant and his job is to go and buy things and then resell things, in essence, here's what he's saying. He's taking all of the pearls that he has, he's selling all of them in order to acquire this one. It has that much value that he's willing to get rid of all of his inventory in order to have this one thing. And that's the story that Jesus tells his disciples. So, you know, and again, so people get a little nervous about this. So is Jesus saying, like, you buy your salvation? That's not what he's saying, okay? It's not what he's saying. He's giving this, he's giving this parable for the disciples to understand something. Um, and here's the idea. When you go through the parables, both of them together, here's what you get. Something of great value was recognized. They realized that they wanted to own and possess that thing of great value. They were willing to do whatever they had to do to possess that. And it produced great joy in the fact that they did possess that which they saw. That's the parable in a nutshell. So you say, so how does that, what's it saying? Think about this for a second. He's talking to these guys who are ultimately going to go out in the name of Christ, and it's going to cost them everything. It's going to cost them everything. And Jesus is really laying out this parable for them to understand that, look, you want to be part of this kingdom? You really want to be part of this kingdom? There's a price. We're not talking about earning your salvation. We're talking about if you're going to go down this road with me, if you want to be part of that which I am talking about, my kingdom, you need to know there's a price. He tells this story to illustrate that to them. So let's walk through it for us and, and, and draw a couple of analogies. First of all, you and I have to see the value of salvation. We have to see the value of being part of God's kingdom. That's what happens in both of these parables. In the first parable, he, he stumbles across it. He wasn't even looking for it. 
He's walking through the field, and he goes, oh, I wonder what that shiny thing is or whatever that deal is. And he pulls it back and goes, whoa, I didn't know this was here. Oh, I'm going to cover it back up. I'm going to go do whatever I have to do in order to obtain this, in order to, to make this part of my, my world. In the other case, the guy's doing his business, going from place to place to place. He walks into some shop or deals with some guy and he goes, here's a pearl. And you know what it's worth. This is what I want for it. And the guy goes, I know, I understand the value of having that. You know what? It's worth everything I've got. I'll sell it all in order to be a part, in order to have that. So one of the things that you and I have to do is we have to understand the value of salvation. And there are people who just don't see the value. I mean, think about it for a minute. If, if you're a business owner and this guy's your friend and he comes in and goes, hey, I'm selling all my inventory because I got a great deal on this one thing. You can kind of look at him and go, mm, why are you selling all your money? Well, I want to go buy this field. But you don't understand that they don't even have a house on that field. You're going to sell your house in order to get an empty field? Why? Nobody else understood it. And that's true of salvation as well. The world doesn't understand this thing. The world doesn't understand why, why, the world doesn't understand why four inches of snow, everybody else is bunkered down in their house, people would show up here. I mean, I do, because you're not right. But I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, I mean, that's where we are. We're, we're like, you know, no, I want to get together with God's people. I want to be together with, you know, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to encourage. I want to fellowship. I want to pray. I want to be able to do that. The world doesn't get that. They don't see the value in it. And that's, that's what Jesus said to the disciples. My followers are going to see the value in being part of this kingdom. Second idea is this. It's something you have to want. It's not something that's automatically made for you. You have to really want to be a part of this thing. Um, in this case, they wanted it so bad, they were willing to do whatever they had to do if that meant selling it all. It was an all-in kind of thing for these guys. They wanted to make sure that they, were, they, were, they, got, they possessed being part of the kingdom. So what he says here is this idea of, of they were so willing that it did not matter what they had to give up. It did not matter what they wanted this item. They wanted this thing. And that's what Jesus is saying of his followers. Listen, guys, if you're going to follow me, you've got to want it at any cost. You've got to be willing to give up whatever you need to give up if you want to be part of my kingdom. Most of us don't understand the Apostle Paul, but Paul, you need to know that Paul as a Jew was on his way up to be the top gun of Jewish people. Okay? Um, he had a pedigree. He had a pedigree that people envied. Um, he studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He he, and again, to get to that level, um, they picked who got to follow them at that point. And Paul was one of the ones. Paul had gone out aggressively persecuting Christians. Part of that was working his way up to be, you know, a Jew of all Jews. Listen to what he says. Yes, what is more, I certainly do count all things to be sheer loss because of the all-suppressing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I suffered the loss of all of these things, and am still counting them refuge, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Paul said, take my life, 
Look at everything that I had, all of that. And everybody looks at me and goes, I don't understand why you turned to Christ. You, you, you know, you were on your way to the top, Paul. And Paul says, you know what? It's garbage. Everything I attained, everything that I worked for, all the way working my way up, it was trash because of what I got to possess when I, got, when I became a Christian. It was worth every bit of I take all of my, all of my past accolades and everything else, and it means nothing to me. Because I possess now Christ. And it's all loss, and I don't miss any of it. That's what he says. Why? Because if you're going to be part of God's kingdom, you've got to really desire and want to follow God with your whole heart. There's no place in the Bible for this. I prayed a prayer, so I'm going to heaven, but I can live my life the way I want to live my life. No, Christianity is an all-in kind of thing, and that's what, that's what he's saying here. Not only is there this idea behind it of you've got to see the value in it and you've got to desire it, but you've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. There's a commitment to following Jesus Christ. In this case, these guys sold everything that they had in order to, in other words, they weren't willing to hang on to anything if it was going to keep them from being committed to acquiring either the pearl or the lamb. And that's what Jesus is, is laying out. It, it's this idea of, everybody goes, well, so, you know, you're not, you're not saying we work for our salvation. No, I'm not saying you work for your salvation. Here's what I am saying. Salvation is a free gift of God that we accept by faith. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's purely a free gift. But you have to accept it by faith. And faith involves a couple of things. It involves an intellectual knowledge, the fact that I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. Um, it involves a heart issue in which you understand... Um, within your soul, within your, your, your being, if you will, that you want, you need Christ to pay for your sin. You cannot do it on your own. And then it involves a commitment level, a volitionalist, an issue at which you, you have to step out and do something about it. In our case, pray, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is an aspect of it where you have to take a step of faith and do something in order to say, in our case, what we say is, for instance, for me, it was simply a prayer. Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I want my life to be about you, not me. But I had to do something. Until I did that, it was all head and heart. It wasn't, it wasn't an act of faith. And you know as well as I do. You can say you believe in something, but when you, it's really put to the test, that's when you find out what you really, really believe. You know? and, and this is the idea of these guys, you know, they could have looked at it and go, oh, that's a great treasure and everything else, and oh, it will cost me a lot. And yeah, I would be willing to sell all of my stuff, but if they don't sell it, then guess what? They don't own it. They don't possess it. They, they, they have to make that, that, that decision, and that's so, so important. And that's what I see often with people, you know, that there's a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, da 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 And when it really comes right down to it, and you go, so tell me about the decision that you made. Well, you know, they know all the head and the heart stuff, but it's, it's, it's not lived out in the life. It's not a life kind of thing. Does that make sense? And that's so important that we understand. These guys made a commitment, and they were all in. They were not holding anything back. 
And that's the idea that he's talking about here, is it takes that level of commitment. And then, here's what's interesting is, the passage talks about joy. And I think that's odd. Why does he add this joy aspect to it? But remember, this is Jesus talking. Listen to Jesus' words when he gets to John chapter 15. This is after John 14, where it talks about, you know, in my father's house and all that. Listen to it. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. The next chapter, here's what he says. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy might be full. One of the things that Jesus adds in this parable is this idea of when they finally possess that which they had given everything for, there's joy. There's joy. One of the things that I think is a great challenge for us is this issue of, let me ask you something, where's your joy? You possess salvation. Where's the joy? Where's the joy? Two takeaways as we work through this idea. Because, you know, basically what you see in this story is this idea of they see the value in... The application for us was that we see the value in in, in salvation, that we desire it, that we're willing to commit to it, and that we have the joy because we possess it. Two groups of people are listening right now. One group, you're not part of God's kingdom. You may have stumbled onto this thing online today. You may have stumbled in here, whatever else. You may be here on a regular basis, whatever. But you know that you're just not a child of God. You've never made that choice. What I would say to you this morning is that Christianity has tremendous value. Not religion, Christianity. A relationship with Christ has tremendous value. It's the most precious thing you'll ever own or possess. It's free. But it's something that you have to choose. It's not something that somebody else can make the decision for you. Whether you stumble across it or where you go out and pursue a whole bunch of things, trying to find out what the meaning of life is and all these kinds of things and all these kind of pursuits, you have to understand that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is exactly what he's talking about in this treasure parable and this, in this pearl parable. It's this idea of thing of great value. One of the things that you've seen in the last year with the pandemic is this. The difference between how people respond to this when there are people who have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ and people who don't. And it is glaring to me as I talk to people and interact with people on the differences the way Christians... I've seen it all my life when, when I do funerals of people who, who are Christians and people who are not Christian. When I, when I deal with people who are, are people of faith and they're followers of Christ and people who are not. And, and I tell you, the hope and confidence and grace that is with those who have had their faith and trust in Christ, there is something there that you can't explain that the world will not understand. And I challenge you, if you're not part of the kingdom, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, please, please, please talk to us. I think the group that most of us fall into is the second group of people. And that's the people that we are Christians. We put our faith and trust in Christ. We are people of the kingdom. We know that when we step from this world, we step into a world with Christ. We understand that. We get all of that. But here's my question to you this morning. 
Where's your joy? I mean, where's the joy in life? Where's, where's the joy in your everyday walk as a Christian? Paul said it this way. <clears throat> Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Oh, and, by, and then he says, again, I say rejoice. This is the nice way of saying it this way. Rejoice. Always. Now, in case you didn't hear that the first time, rejoice. And you sit here and you go, Pastor, you know, that's easy for you to say. You don't have my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my struggles. You don't know what's happening with my job, with my spouse, with my family, with my kids. You don't know what financial situations I'm in. You don't know the burden that I get up every single day and have to carry through the whole day. You don't know. You know what? You're exactly right. I don't. You don't know mine, but let's just say, since we're going to play the comparison game, which the Bible says is a bad game to play, okay? He says, they that compare themselves with themselves are not wise. That's a nice way of saying, don't be stupid. Okay, But if you want to play the game, let's play the game. No, I do not understand your world. No, I do not live in your shoes. But you want to play the game, so let's play the game. Who said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice? Who was the person who wrote that? Help me out. Paul. Paul was in prison when he wrote it. He wrote it to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was struggling. And the whole book of Philippians is about finding joy in the way that you think in your life. Okay? In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us a small glimpse into his life. What's happening is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is arguing with them about struggles and difficulties and hardships. So I want you to hear what Paul says. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to even talk like this, but I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times. I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Roman law said you could beat a person with the lash 39 times, and if they died, you were not responsible. But 40, they had learned that there's so much loss of blood and so much pain, most people died at 40 lashes. So they said, stop at 39. 39 and they die, not your fault. You give them 40 and they die, we're taking your life. Five times this happened to Paul. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once, I was pelted with stones. These are not little sticks and stones may break my bones. These are how big can you hold a rock and I'll throw it at him. Once, uh, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. 
I have labored and toiled more often and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I've gone often without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of all my concern for the churches. Oh, by the way, I'm always worried about the other churches and how they're doing too. So here's my question to you this morning. Do I understand your world? No. But here's what Paul tells you. Now, let's understand who he is. Paul is somebody who gave up all of his Jewish accolades in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's serving God with his life. And how does God reward that? They tie him to a post and they beat him with 39 lashes till he almost dies. Get close, don't kill him. And you're Paul, you get done with that, takes a while for your back to heal. What are you going to do now? You're going to give up? You don't quit? I mean, you're serving God. God lets this happen to you? Nope, I'm going to go on to the next city. In the next city, what happens there? And again, I'm, no order to this. Oh, this city, they decide to beat you with rods. They just take rods and beat you. In many cases, some cases, breaking bones. You quit now? Let's move on. Guess what happens now? I'm going to get in a ship. We're going to sail because God wants me to go to this area. When a shipwreck on an island, not knowing if anyone will rescue us. Hey, God's got a good life for me now. He gets beaten again and again. And again, you quit yet? Five times. Three times with rods. A day and a half, he sits bobbing in an ocean, waiting for someone to come by, not knowing if he's just going to drown like a scene from Titanic. He gets stoned. Every place that he goes, people are trying to kill him. Whether he's in a city, whether he's in a country. No matter what he does, every time he tries to serve God, he gets beaten or punished or not enough food or not enough sleep, and he keeps plugging away and plugging away and plugging away until he comes to the end of his life and he says, I have fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. I've hung in there till the end in spite of every single thing that has happened to me. You're right, I don't know your world but I just told you about his. And when this guy comes to the end of his life and he's writing to a group of people that he's concerned about, you know what he says? Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And I'll say it one more time if you forgot it. Rejoice. Here's my question to you. This, I, this has been haunting me for three weeks now. If that guy, going through everything he went through, who was all in, can come to his journey and say, rejoice. Because you have salvation in God. 
Why can't we find joy when things go difficult? And again, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about that confidence that says God's in control. It'll be okay. God can use this. I'm going to keep trusting him. And so often, we forget this. And Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, guys, if you're going to be part of this kingdom, it's going to be like a guy who comes across something in a field and realizes that in order to have it, he's going to cost him everything. And he goes and he sells everything, but he finds joy. And guys, it's like a guy who is a merchant, who he goes out and he buys pearls, and he, sells, and he comes across a pearl that is so valuable and so rare and so exquisite that he goes back and cleans out every bit of inventory and says, I want that. Because guys, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be all in. When we look historically at the lives of the disciples, it cost every one of them all to follow Christ. And yet, they did it with great joy. Paul says, you know what? I found joy in Christ, and here's what I'll say to you, in spite of everything, rejoice. Rejoice. So I end this morning with this. For those of you who are reluctant to follow Christ, please consider his gift of salvation. But understand, being part of the kingdom is an all-in kind of thing. For those of you who possess salvation, may you value the joy that comes with your salvation. And if you've gotten away from the joy, may you find it this week. My prayer for you is that you will find joy every day this week in being a child of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. But you give us a different way to live. Lord, we possess one of the greatest things in all of creation. Lord, even the angels themselves cannot comprehend the salvation that we have with you. So, Lord, this morning we say thank you, and we ask that as we go through this week in, in trials and struggles and difficulties and hardship and stuff that just comes down the pike that sometimes just seems overwhelming to carry, that, Lord, even in those times, we might find joy in the fact that you're still in control that, Lord, you still love us and you will continue to use us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to stand. Let's sing the first verse of Sweet.